1: So glad you've taken time out of your day to join us here on the Clark Howard Show where our goal is simple. It is to empower you with knowledge so you can keep more of what you have. Our websites are clark.com and clarkdeals.com and we have been through a real time with medicine lately. Uh, Gosh, the people who work in medicine doctors nurses other medical professionals and personnel who work in medical facilities have been putting their lives on the line to save as many lives as they can during coronavirus and one of the things that has been clear through the time of the pandemic is how many people in America don't have a regular place to go when they need medical attention. And so a lot of times those people have sought care for coronavirus much later than others, and many times with terrible, terrible results, possibly loss of life as a result of the delay. And so we've got a broken equation in the United States In spite of the incredible heroic efforts of so many people in medical, we've got a lot of people who start with the handicap, and that is lack of regular access to medical care. So there's been a lot of experimentation going on. Walmart has been opening Walmart health centers and they are going to increase the number of centers they offer. And I've talked about how CBS is opening uh, medical facilities as well that are retail-oriented like the Walmart one as well. And now Walgreens has announced that they're going to open somewhere around 700 doctor's offices that will be inside Walgreens stores or attached to them and the design of what Walgreens is doing is that the overwhelming majority of locations that are going to be open are locations that are uh, as it's called underserved that there's a lack of primary care doctors in the zip codes or areas in urban, suburban, and rural areas where the doctor's offices are going to open in the Walgreens. So this is part of a migration in how medical care at the primary level is going to be offered in the United States where you're going to have more and more retailers who are connected directly to medicine, like Walgreens and CVS and then those who only indirectly are connected to medicine like Walmart getting involved in the delivery of medical care the one of the significant factors in each of these is what economists call price transparency where you will know when you walk in the door what it's going to cost for the care you are likely to receive. And I gave an example about where Walgreens kind of went off the tracks with this two years ago where Walgreens was doing what CVS was doing with the nurse in a box facilities where they had the um, nurse practitioners in the offices in in the pharmacies and CVS has stayed on that course Well, Walgreens in a lot of places has sold off those facilities to dominant hospitals in an area, and the hospitals use it as a feeder tool to get more patient admissions to their hospitals, and as I did in a a story I did for television, I looked at the pricing at the facilities when they'd switch from being uh, Walgreens run essentially nurse in a box to a feeder for hospitals and you no longer had the ability to just see a price list you no longer had pricing anything that was approachable anymore once those spaces flipped and became affiliated with hospitals and so having the involvement and the design from the ground up where someone can come in and they know what it's going to cost. And they know that someone's available to see seven days a week and longer than banker's hours. That's where we're headed with primary care. And it's one of the ways we can make a big difference in what health care costs moving forward. And the outcomes for people when they see someone early instead of delayed care at a hospital emergency room which is not where someone should be getting primary care any day of the week. It's time for questions you posted for me at clark.com ask. And producer Kim, who do you have a question from?
0: This is from Chris in Texas. And Chris says, I've been trying to figure out if there's anything I can do to help with my company's 401k options. The lowest funds expense ratio is an astonishingly high 1.34%. Say what? 1.34%. I've reached out to my HR and sent them an email expressing the importance of just adding a few low-cost funds. I was told that they're looking into it, but because of the company's size and the amount of assets, it might not be possible. Still waiting to hear back on that. I also, on my own, reached out to Vanguard to see if they could help, but because I'm just an employee, they couldn't. Clark, is there anything I can do that maybe my HR rep isn't aware of to get those fees down?
1: Yeah, they probably um, just lack knowledge about what's available in the marketplace. To give you a comparison, I've got 22 employees in the 401k plan that we provide, and our average expense, average, for a fund is 012 Kim, you said that expense ratio for the lowest was what, 1. what? 3.4.
0: Wow.
1: Right. So what that means is that the employees where where you work end up with a great deal less money, maybe on the scale of maybe 40% less money down the road than they would if they were in a low-cost plan. So for you as an employee, if it's something the employer is not really interested in and they're not putting a focus on it or care about it then what I would do if I were you if you can't influence the process is reduce what you contribute to the employer provided 401k instead fully fund a Roth IRA on your own at one of the ultra low cost companies like the ones I have listed on my investment guide at clark.com but uh, in a lot of cases with smaller employers it's a lack of knowledge of what's out there rather than just being a smaller employer uh uh joel which is is it Wealthfront or betterment that's now offering low-cost 401k plans? Uh, betterment betterment is something if you want to make a suggestion to your employer as a source that would be a very affordable plan for small companies and speaking of Joel, who do you have a question from?
2: Clark, this one's from Mary Ann. She says, I've lived in my home for 12 years, and my homeowner's insurance may go up a few dollars here and there on average. This year, 2020, I got my letter and my eyes opened wide. 500 bucks more this year for the insurance. I spoke to my neighbors, and the same thing seems to be happening for them. Is it because of COVID nineteen. Should I start looking for a different company, uh, insurance company? If so, what should I look? Uh, what should, what do I need to know when I'm looking for a new insurance company?
1: So, I'm guessing no claims against homeowners. So, this is like hitting you over the head with a two by four. That you should shop your coverage and talk to other insurers and see. What they would charge you, something else I'd like you to look at at a time you do this and clean sheet shopping for homeowners insurance is what deductibles do you have right now for coverage? If you still have a mortgage on your home, you want to make sure you don't exceed the deductibles allowed by your mortgage company, but raising your deductibles is one of the most effective ways to lower the premium cost on your homeowners insurance knowing that you don't want to make small claims anyway with homeowners. You want to reserve it for when there's a catastrophic loss. As to a general trend that suddenly homeowners rates are skyrocketing like you and neighbors have experienced, I haven't seen that anywhere. I've not heard of that. It could be going on and I've just missed it. There are some insurers that are raising rates on some of their insurance products, but generally more in the life insurance area because of how low interest rates are right now. But I've not heard of that with homeowners or auto, it's known as property and casualty insurance. So shopping is your most effective friend.
0: Kim? Nancy in South Carolina says, my daughter has two federal student loans. One is at 6% and one is at 55 With interest rates so low now, should she refinance them? And where would we do that? Is it even possible to refinance through the government? Because I know you, I've heard you say that federal loans are better than private loans.
1: Yeah. So this is a tough one. You got to think this through because if you give up a federal loan, you give up the borrower protections that exist with a federal loan. But right now, because of the low interest rates that I just mentioned a second ago involving insurance companies, uh, the deals on private student loan refinances may be cheaper enough that in certain situations it's worth giving up the borrower protections of federal loans to get the much lower rate you may find on private fixed rate student loans right now. Uh, SoFi is the best known of them, S-O-F-I. There's also others called Splash, Incredible, um, as well as Discover. The credit card people are involved in student loans now you may find in a number of others. Shop it and see what's out there in the marketplace, and you may decide to make that move.
2: This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place like texas you've never been but it's going to be great because you're staying at la quinta by wyndham their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead and after you can unwind using their free high-speed wi-fi tonight la quinta tomorrow you shine book your stay today at lq.com
1: wes is with us on the clark howard show hello wes how are you doing
3: i'm doing good
1: Wes, Please. I understand you're selling a home, buying a home, a whole bunch of transactions going on. How can I be of service to you with that?
3: Yeah, I was just wondering, um, when I purchased the new home, I didn't want to throw all the money I made off of my house I'm selling currently into the house. I was wondering if I should pay off my vehicle that I just bought a year ago and save myself a $400 payment a month. Well, that's an interesting question.
1: Because if you think about it, if you take that money and you use it to kill off your vehicle payment, what you're doing is you're then borrowing that money against the new house and stretching the payments out on it over 30 years versus how many years of payments are left on the truck or car. I'm sorry, I I said truck, vehicle. Yeah, it's, it's a truck, four years four years so you're taking four-year borrowing and turning it into 30-year borrowing do you yeah. know what i mean because if you don't have the money to put into the new home you're borrowing that share that additional amount and then with a 30-year loan you're going to be paying interest on essentially if you think of it in a crazy sort of way You're paying interest on the truck for the next thirty years instead of paying it for four years.
3: Yes, and the interest rate on the truck is four percent, where the house is going to be two point seven. But my thought. But even even if the house
1: is two point seven, you're still borrowing that money, the truck money, for thirty years instead of four.
3: All right. Now, would it make better sense that I'm spending an extra forty dollars a month over thirty years than four hundred a month? For the next four years but i might use that money towards putting principal on the house throughout
1: the years i hate to tell you no no okay. it really would be better for you just to pay the truck as agreed and pay it off over the remaining four years and then have more money to put into the home purchase bigger down payment reduced uh total balance on the loan from the get-go You're going to have an ultra-low interest rate on that loan, and there's such great advantages to it. But I have a weird question for you. Uh If you're thinking of, hey, I could just pay extra every month on that 30-year loan, which is not a a really high priority if you're getting a loan at 2.7%, but even if you did, maybe you would be better off taking out a 15-year loan and having an even lower rate how old are you Wes Uh, 32 so think of this if you could swing the payments on a 15-year loan on your new home you take all that money from the proceeds of the home you're selling and it all goes into the new home if you could afford the payment on the new home on a 15-year loan at 47 years old you own that home free and clear You take out a 30-year loan, you're 62, almost double your current age.
3: I mean, do do payments usually differ largely between a 15- and a 30-year loan?
1: Oh, yeah, you pay, you know, because you're paying off the debt in half the time. So the payment's not twice on a 15-year loan, but you do pay a fair amount more. But you're getting a lower interest rate as well. So I'm just trying to give you different possibilities, because if you take all the proceeds from the sale of the existing home, they all go into the purchase of the new home. You're going to have a lower loan balance, and maybe, just maybe, in your budget, that 15-year loan payment would be affordable. An alternative is you take out a 20-year mortgage instead of a 30-year, and then you're still done paying at 52 instead of 62. And the 20-year loan will not have um, a significantly larger payment than a new 30-year. Just some things for you to think about as alternatives. But I'm never a big fan of rushing to pay off a vehicle loan instead of ending up with a lower mortgage to start with that you have for the entire life of that mortgage. Welcome to the Clark Howard Show where it's all about you learning ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Our websites are clark.com and clarkdeals.com. So we talked about something back in May and that was shocking statistics about how much people who have stayed employed through the disruptions of coronavirus have reduced their personal spending and as people move above the average income in the United States who've stayed employed they really never knew how much of what they spent money on every month was discretionary in other words a choice instead of a have to as you move steadily up the income line People who would complain, I don't know where all my money goes, suddenly found that their spending has gone down, down, down. And there are a number of factors for it. But the uh, typical spending that people are doing on things running out and about is down by uh, Federal Reserve measurements that I've seen from various reports by a third to as much as 40 percent and who knew that so much of spending that we do beyond people who are just trying to get by I'm I'm not talking about that I'm talking about for people who have a steady paycheck and again are above the average income in the United States have found that hey they're not spending the money they were spending on stuff they're not spending the money on clothing they're obviously not spending money overwhelmingly on travel Um, eating out's been a huge one the more you move up the income ladder the less people have been eating out and eating at home is generally so much cheaper than eating out that people have found a lot more money and their pockets I was um, I walk every day and I was talking with a doctor who I passed by and he said he can't believe how his credit card bills have vanished he said I'm not spending any money at all and that has been the experience of so many people but it's not just people talking New data from the Federal Reserve just released finds that the amount of debt on credit cards has collapsed in the last five months, that the amount of of overall indebtedness on credit cards has dropped below a trillion dollars and down by a substantial amount over just a few months. And so we always wonder, and let's drill this down to each of us as individuals. We always wonder, is there room in our budgets to build more money for retirement, to build more money in an emergency account, to reduce the amount of debt we have in our lives? And the answer is, unless you are living truly paycheck to paycheck, There is room to meet goals. There is room to reduce debt. And this is something that I want you to take a good lesson out of a really tough time in America. I mean, this has been a tough time, and this is one potential bright thing out of it, and that is the ability for you and me to get our expenses under better control and more meet the goals that we know we should be about having daily security, financial security with a rainy day account, reducing outstanding debt, and building money for retirement. So there's a big difference between have to's and want to's. And people are now paying attention to that. And hopefully, building new habits it's time for questions you posted for me at clark.com slash ask and who's up here clark
2: it's me and alan's got a question alan in florida he says my fiance and i are hoping to get married in may of 2021 we're interested in, in taking a trip to europe for our honeymoon when would be a good time to start booking flights and hotels for this in order to get the best deal and do you have any recommendations on booking travel in the midst of coronavirus in general? Also, should I be adding a trip protection to the purchase?
1: That's a lot of great questions. So this has been a very, very difficult thing to figure out. There have been, I get uh, from three different subscription services, I get alerts to airfares every day. And the airfares I'm seeing... To Europe, within the United States, around the world, are so ridiculously cheap by historical numbers. It's so tempting. So, if you see a scream and scream and scream and deal to Europe, it's one of those things that is almost like buying a junk bond because we don't know those flights are going to operate. We don't know that the airline you'd buy it on is still going to be around next summer. And we don't know if you're going to want to travel or if the country will permit that you want to go to in Europe will permit Americans to enter. And these are all so many unknowns. Most trip insurance will not cover you for many of the circumstances that might lead you to cancel your trip. So here's a general guideline I'll give you, and this applies beyond what you're considering for next summer But for any travel that someone's booking for many months into the future, you want to know what your rights are to cancel, what happens with your money if you do cancel. Uh, Many airlines and travel suppliers say there are no worry cancellations. But just because they say that, what does that mean? Do you get a refund? Do you have like a gift certificate to use on that airline at a later date at no penalty? Um, what happens with any hotels you book or anything like that I would say with accommodations book only refundable bookings for now or do bookings that you only have to make a reservation that you have to pay much later with air protect your air by buying most of the money by along with buying a bargain by cancel for any reason insurance It'll cost you about 9% of the cost of the trip of the airline tickets and will not give you back all your money if you just have to bail, but it'll give you back three-quarters of your money if you have to bail. And so with that layer on top of a booking, I think it's a worthy risk to book a steal of a deal now knowing that you can get back most of the money if the conditions are not good to take that travel a year from now. Kim?
0: Calais in Georgia says, I've been employed by the same company for over a year as a W-2 employee. I make over $100,000 a year and I have excellent credit. My company recently restructured and changed my status to a 1099 independent contractor. Wow. While I don't have the same benefits as I did as a W-2 employee, I will make more money with this structure. The problem is my husband and I recently applied for a mortgage, and now we're being told that since I've switched to 1099, I no longer qualify for the mortgage. Right. Does this make any sense? And also, what other options would I have now aside from finding a cosigner?
1: Okay, so the mortgage market has become like just like, any credit market has become very nervous about extending loans and anybody who has any situation that is not really conventional and doesn't have a really solid credit score you're going to have more hoops to jump through to get the loan so um, when you were self-employed which you are now as a 1099 you are a non-employee and for many mortgage lenders that automatically will kick you out of their system and they will not make you a loan this is a case where you want to go to a mortgage broker and get the help of a mortgage broker who is very experienced will know the market and know which lenders will make a loan to you as a 1099 non-employee or self-employed individual and that you'll meet their criteria but not the criteria used by the lender in particular you've gone to you will likely pay um, gosh I'm thinking lately I think you'll pay about three-eighths of a point higher with a lender that will take you as a 1099 instead of a w-2 person but again this will vary from lender to lender and it's going to be ultra important for you to shop the market. You might also try credit unions in your area who may well be willing to make a loan to you because many credit unions keep loans in what's known as in portfolio on their own books and will be willing to make a loan to you that a traditional bank will not be willing to make. So you have more work in front of you with your former employer's reorganization casting you off as essentially an independent contractor. Joel? Clark Gregg
2: in California says, I'd like your opinion on pet medical insurance. I have two household cats that are each about 13 years old, and it appears that they are beginning to experience some health issues. I will save you from the particulars, but I'd appreciate your input On whether or not pet insurance makes sense is it worth obtaining and do you have any places to go to shop for it that that you can think of
1: what I recommend with pet insurance is that you talk to the vet that you use and find out which policies they experience as having the best payment records particularly with an older pet a lot of pet insurance policies the brochures are colorful and beautiful and have really cute pictures of dogs and cats but when you get down to it as a dog or cat gets older or has particular medical conditions or a particular breed specifically with dogs you're going to find that the coverage will not really be worth the premiums you would pay and that's why I like to rely on the experience of veterinary medicine practices which particular policies they find are the ones that do the best job at paying off when there is a medical condition but having mentioned already that your cats are older you're going to find that the ability to find a really good policy is going to be a bit frustrating. Um, We have never had pet insurance on our pets and there have been certain times with big expenses that uh, they've said at the vet well if you had pet insurance but we have not and we've had to shoulder the costs of those things and it's really a personal choice if you want to go the insurance route or know that you could be facing a potentially expensive vet bill but again the policy may not cover that bill. That's the rough part.
4: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Bridget's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Bridget. How are you doing today?
4: I'm doing great. How are you, Clark?
5: Good, thank you. Back in 2007, we were building a home, and it's when the housing market crashed, And when we went to convert our loan from a construction loan to a regular loan, our home was no longer worth what we had paid for it. So the bank required that we have an additional down payment. So we borrowed $50,000 from my 401k. We make payments out of uh, each paycheck and we pay it back with seven and three quarter percent interest. Wow. And with all the... I know... (laughs) Which is a lot. All right. So this um, has
1: been thirteen years. What's your balance now left of the fifty?
5: It's thirty six thousand. Wow.
1: So you haven't made I know. So I mean this is, this is big interest. You're making payments to it and you're really not that far along with the balance.
5: Exactly. Exactly. Um and what I was trying to figure out with the with the COVID nineteen um, penalty forgiveness with other things is there anything that would apply to this type of loan
1: so yeah you potentially could uh you know you end up paying the tax you just don't pay the 10 percent penalty but I'm looking at the numbers and I've got a whole different way I'm thinking about this so are you still in this home yes we're still in the home so the value went uh upside down on you by this point 13 years later it may be a lucky 13 i'm assuming your home is worth far more than what the remaining it, it loan is. balance is on your mortgage
5: it is and we have um in three years it'll be paid off that's fantastic well yes. I think about that turnaround exactly exactly and that's one of the reasons we we were putting more towards the mortgage and not really um, you know, making extra payments towards the mortgage, not really worrying about paying back the, the 401k loan since we were paying it back to ourselves with interest.
1: But you're still paying this very high rate of interest, still have this big balance. I don't want you to create the tax bill. I mean, what you would avoid is $3,600 in penalty uh, under the coronavirus statute, but you'd still have the ordinary income tax on taking 36000 effectively out of your 401k. So right. Correct. I'm not exactly jumping for joy about that as an option. You have such a short time period left with your mortgage, so you took the wind out of my sails about doing a refi and putting this into it. The way you figured three years left, is that still paying extra on the mortgage? Correct. So I would rather you just pay the mortgage as agreed. What interest rate does it carry? Two and seven-eighths. So at two and seven-eighths, stop rushing on that and instead take the money and throw it at that $36,000 balance. Okay. And get that paid off. I mean, you're so aggressive with paying down debt that there's no reason for you to create a tax burden for yourself and remove money out of your life that can be used for your retirement years by doing a premature withdrawal from your 401k. Okay. So just pay as agreed at that incredibly low mortgage rate you have, and the money you've been throwing at it, throw at that 36 grand, and then when you finish paying off the mortgage eventually, if there's any balance left still on the 401k loan, then whatever you were paying is you're agreed to on the mortgage throw it at the whatever will remain of that 401k loan so no upside in this case to using the penalty-free withdrawal from a 401k you're listening to the Clark Howard Show